This podcast was produced by ORFM Dunedin with support from New Zealand On the Air. Otago Access Radio, in partnership with Otago Polytech, brings you Blowing Bubbles. Blowing Bubbles brings you positive conversations with people in their bubbles around the world. How are people living their bubble lives? Working from home, keeping kids entertained, and staying connected and getting exercise. And how are these things presenting us with the opportunities to find new ways of living? Every weekday, the Sustainable Lens team of Samuel Mann, Shan Gallagher and Mara Karatai reach out from their bubbles to chat with interesting and positive people around the world. Broadcast on Otago Access Radio 105.4 FM and streamed and podcast on oar.org.nz and sustainablelens.org. Bringing connection, joy, kindness and peace in the days ahead. Welcome to Blowing Bubbles, positive conversations with people in their bubbles and their safe spaces around the world. I'm Samuel Mann in Sawyer's Bay, Dunedin. And I'm joined by Mawira Karatai in Fakatani, celebrating level two, Mawira. Yes, Sam, I am. Um, my kids have all uh, got uh, visits with mates booked um, and have, over the last week, been getting those all lined up. And I think that's been the hardest for them is that it's been there. Um, while they've all had social media to engage, it's not the same as actually being face-to-face. But I worry about this uh, social distancing. I'm not quite sure how that's going to work with them. So just hope for the best that the message has been drummed in. What's changing for you? Um, nothing really, because I already work from home. Um, and I'm, I'm now in the habit of getting everything from the supermarket. I'm sort of really mindful that we still have got to we've got to take care and so I, I don't see myself changing that much I'd like to wait a little while before I decide that I'm ready to go back to normal life whatever normal life looks like And we are joined by Lily Morrow-Howden. Welcome, Lily. Hi. Nice to be here. Lily, you're in Dunedin, but I've no idea where. Ah, I am in um, in the Northeast Valley um, in Dunedin. Beautiful little green suburb. And how has your time in your bubble gone? It's actually gone really well. I've adapted um, quite quite well. I think that I'm naturally sort of a, a bit of a homebody, and um, over the years, I've sort of intermittently had a lot of studio practice. So, just sort of adjusting to being in my space, and I share it with my husband. And we get along really well. So, um, it's actually it's been quite fun. And the major difference has been working mobile, and I've actually really enjoyed that. So, you've carried on working from home. Yep, um, I work at the Otago Polytechnic with Sam and Moeta um, in a program called Capable NZ, and um, it was already very much an online program. So just moved the space, my office space, to my home studio, and been working fairly, fairly normally. There was some sort of Zoom um, mishaps in the beginning, and I've gotten much more sort of upskilled <laughs> in that regard. But overall, been really fun. Not Zoom mishaps of people wandering around on the background in their underwear. <laughs> uh, I've had um, uh, uh, some dancing dinosaurs that have showed up in a few meetings. <laughs> and have you gotten out and gotten some exercise? Yeah. Um, 
Definitely. Uh, in Dunedin, you can't avoid um, running up hills. And I tend to, I've noticed, I always end up living in places with really steep hills. I grew up in Vermont and there's lots of mountains there. And so I've just been continually walking and running up the hills. It's always a good view at the top. And you have to decide whether or not you're going to run up the hill at the end or the, or the, or the start. Yeah, and what, how steep the grade of hill you want that day. <laughs> I live right near Baldwin Street, so if you want to run up the steepest street in the world, you can do that. We went swimming today, and there was quite a big sea, so we one one of the directions was swimming uphill. It was quite it was quite a slog. We certainly noticed it. We're going to go straight to a music selection and we asked you for music selections and you came up with one that's quite close to home. Yeah, um, my husband is a musician and an audio engineer and um, one of the things he's been doing during the COVID-19 is um, remastering some of his old albums and I chose one that he did when he was traveling in Brazil and was exploring multiple recording, um, mobile recording techniques. And this one was recorded in a bathroom um, in Brazil by the beach. So uh, I loved that story. It's one of my favorite songs. So, so I chose it. So it is by Mark Howden, and it's on the album Dusty Road. And we're having Blue Rose.
Lily, you're working. I know that you're working on lots of different projects. Yes. <laughs> what have you been working on during the lockdown? Uh, I have been working on um, a novella, uh, which is a short novel uh, project that I've been working on off and on for the last couple of years. And the lockdown period has finally provided some quiet and space and time to focus. And I've got a draft that um, I'm excited about, and I've actually sent it out to a group of test readers, um, which is really exciting. So it's this period has offered me time to focus on creative work that I haven't had. So I've been really appreciative of that. And um, also I have test readers who now have time to read and give me feedback, um, which is also really nice. What's it about? Um, it is uh, a novel, it's entitled Seacomb and um, it's a fictional piece. It's set in the United States Gulf Coast region. Um, kind of deals with themes of hurricanes, um, sort of the environmental impact of hurricanes, uh, a lot of sort of issues with um, uh, memories, family memories, family histories, and then there's like a little bit of a love story thrown in there as well. You're trained as a filmmaker? No, um, visual artist. Um, but actually the the novel was set on my major, I was a self-designed major in art school. And um, my major was called Social Impact Art and was actually inspired by, um, I did a semester traveling uh, in the Gulf Coast region of the United States and I was studying environmental justice and um, the sort of impact of human activity on the ecology of the region. And, you know, that's where um, you have hurricanes. Hurricane Katrina um, hit New Orleans um, in 2005. I was there prior to that. But I was really inspired by the region, uh, by just the beauty, the richness of the culture there. And I mean, you had sort of epic poems like Evangeline uh, that Longfellow wrote inspired by that region. But then you had this intense environmental impact. Um, there were sort of whole sections of the Mississippi River that um, were highly polluted. And so I was sort of fascinated by that juxtaposition. And um, actually, so that was part of the inspiration for the setting of my novel. And then when I went back to art school, I thought, well, how can I have some kind of impact on this? And um, I happened to go to an art school that allows you to design your own major. So I came up with the idea of social impact art. What led you to be interested in environmental justice? Um, I've always had a, I think, strong connection to the natural world and ecology. And um, I was on a program called the Audubon Expedition Institute, uh, where you travel around um, the the program. We're traveling around different areas of the United States, uh, studying the, the ecology and then the social, political, environmental impacts that were impacting that particular ecology. Um, and th that was a theme of the semester um, in the Gulf Coast region. Um, a lot of um, the communities in the Gulf Coast region um, 
the lower income or um, the sort of less politically um, powerful communities were the ones where chemical waste treatment plants were built in those communities and people didn't have the ability to, you know, um, to, to change that. So there were, that's, that was sort of the, a lot of the things we were looking at. And um, that was, I think that semester really um, made a huge impact on me and my understanding um, of the world. And that's, I think probably ins inspired a lot of my creative thought and life choices ever since. And art was the family business. Yes, my grandfather uh, was, a, was a painter, um, and my grandmother was an art historian. Um, and then skipped a generation. My um, actually, my uncle is a writer as well. Um, so yeah, no, it's it's definitely it's in there. Uh, your mother did something. Your mother did something boring like the law. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> But, you know, she made sure that I could spell and, you know, useful things like that. <laughs> <laughs> and didn't get arrested. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so I think that, um, you know, sort of responding to the world through creative practice um, just kind of runs in my family. And I'm married to an artist, musician, so that's just a big part of, um, of my life. Bubble Sprite of the Forest of Orokunui, Dunedin's favourite goddess, Tahu Mackenzie. Hope you're all having the best day. Beautiful, amazing superstars. Bursting forth from your beloved bubbles. Bursting forth with a renewed sense of enthusiasm. Bursting forth with a new sense of who you are and what you can do. After this time of learning and growing so many new skills. I hope you've had the most wonderful time. So I'm very excited because this show is coming to you from my favourite place in the whole universe, Orokunui Eco Sanctuary, where I have been able to return today for the first time in more than two months. So it's just so amazing for me. And I'm so lucky that as a human animal, the product of literally billions of years of life co-evolving on Earth, I've been able to find myself here in this place that is dedicated to love and protection of the real world, the natural world, the living world, and it is the place that inspires me the most and gives my life meaning. I'm so grateful. 
for the connection that I have to Orokanui. So I've been here for the last 11 years as the education officer and before I was here I was at the Marine Study Centre and Aquarium at Portobello but I did have contact with Orokanui and my band came and played here 14 years ago when the trust land was first established and it was all gorse and there were no buildings, there was no visitor centre, there was no operation shed so it's really exciting just to have been here and watched it grow all that time and for me it really shows us what we can do, we can always bring that inner nurture that is within us all forward and we can always make things better and Orokanui is proof of that and Orokanui is also proof of the power of our vision when we're united by a vision what we can achieve and it's just incredible and not only has Orokanui healed and transformed the 307 hectares inside the mighty fence of defense that's nine kilometers long and two meters high and big and strong keeps all the introduced predators out not only have we reintroduced all these beautiful Tonga species like kiwi and kaka and takahi and tuatara but also the surrounding communities have got on board and are creating their own sanctuaries and their own backyards and we have the Beyond Orokanui Halo project, we have Open Valley Urban Eco Sanctuary in Northeast Valley, we have Taumbelt Kaitiaki, we have the Predator Free Dunedin Urban Linkage Program, we have the Otago Peninsula Biodiversity Group. So all these people are part of the vision of Orokanui Eco Sanctuary and have been inspired by the big green heart in the middle of it all, a beautiful forest. So I'm so grateful to be able to come back here and really reconnect with the Modi of the place, the life force of the place. It's so special. And the name Orokunui really tells us so much that this place has always had a unique feeling about it, a unique energy about it that is connected to Rongo, connected to the Atwa of peace and healing. So everything associated with healing has always been found here. So abundant food, we know that there's a lot of different mahinga kai that was harvested here, like tokoka, the cabbage tree, and four species of moa. We also see what could be evidence of maare, so the early agriculture and the beautiful tokoka trees and rahu rahu, the bracken fern, and there was a hospital established here in 1901, which actually saved the valley because the forest had been being milled and when the hospital was established that milling stopped because of course they needed lots and lots of water for the hospital. Both of my mothers worked at the Orokanui hospital when they were young women so that connection is there in, in my family and then I found out having worked here for six years actually going back in my family we have other connections to this valley and some of my ancestors are buried here in the Waitati Cemetery and we're actually involved in chopping down the forest and we have connections going back further of course so I'm so grateful to to be here right here right now and going forward we may be doing things differently in terms of how we interact with groups but I'm so grateful that this place is here and this place has been protected and has been blossoming and growing so beautifully for the last 
14 years. It's just incredible. And for me, the eco-sanctuary reminds us of what we always hold within, that sanctuary within. And just like I just walked through the, the pedestrian gate and the predator-resistant fence of defence, we choose what we allow within. We choose how we want to be inspired, who we want to be inspired by, and we choose what we want to most dearly protect and treasure and help to grow and blossom what parts of ourselves. So I hope that this time for you has been a really interesting learning journey for your inner sanctuary. And I hope that you've enjoyed creating your own backyard sanctuary to enjoy. And I'll look forward to talking to you next time. Thanks so much. Kakite. So none of us are actually rushing back to work. We're staying in our in our safe spaces. What do you think is going to change for you in the next few weeks? I'm, I'm not sure. Um, I think I may go out and get um, coffees, maybe meet up with, um, with a couple people outside of my bubble. Um, yeah, I've noticed actually in the lockdown, my routine has not changed, just my circle of orbit has shrunk. <laughs> So um, I'm kind of looking forward to leaving the Northeast Valley. Um, I don't think I've been really farther than, you know, the sort of hills that ring the valley. Um, yeah, I don't, I don't know how, what else. Um, I'm really looking forward to the library reopening, actually. That, I think, is the thing I'm most excited about. Um, beginning to kind of get low on books. I was actually reading, um, when the lockdown started, a book called Stranger in the Woods, which is about um, a hermit in northern Maine. Uh, it's a true story. And so I was already sort of thinking about living in isolation and reading about this really fascinating story. And then all of a sudden I kind of went into isolation. Yeah, I think found that I'm actually quite comfortable in a lot of ways, just being in my space, um, reading books, doing creative projects. Do you think that the lockdown is going to have sparked any creative practice for for you? Not just the opportunity to do it that you're planning anyway, but anything new? Yeah, I think I think it might. I, I usually find that um, over I I'll sort of sit on an idea for a while, um, and it'll sort of bubble, and then a couple months later, uh, some sort of painting or writing piece will come out of it. Uh, I mean, it took me, I think, maybe 10 years for the, you know, the experience of the Mississippi coast to kind of work its way into a creative piece. So I'm I would actually, I'm, I'm not sure what will come out of it, but I suspect something will. Um, I know I've had a lot of really great conversations with friends and family um, overseas, especially most of my um, close friends are in the United States. So I've been having a lot, there's more time to have those conversations um, with people and, um, you know, and 
so actually some of those discussions, the reflections on my experience here in New Zealand versus people's experience in other parts of the world um, has really got me sort of thinking about um, different sort of cultural responses and lenses that people have been experiencing the situation in. So we should check back in 2030. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> What are your friends in the in the states talking about? Um, I've a lot of them are um, talking about most recently just the sort of reopening and um, comparing, you know, the sort of uncertainty. There's been a lot of I think sort of clear um, guidance that I've seen in New Zealand from the government. Um, you know, just sort of clear with the, the levels. Um, it's been a national response in the United States. You know, I've got friends who are based in different states and each state is kind of having its own response. So, you know, um, I've got a very close friend who's in Maine and she's having kind of one experience and they've sort of been in more of a lockdown isolation. Another friend who's in um, North Carolina um, and it's the sort of state response seems to be a little bit more open. Um, but people are more, have been more mobile. You know, when I was in lockdown and not leaving my house, they were still sort of going out and, um, you know, more stores seem to be open. That was kind of a, a reflection. And of course, everybody's talking about the, the interesting person that they have in charge. Yes, <laughs> or not talking about it <laughs> sometimes. I think sometimes it's, it's stressful um, for people so to, to even sort of talk about that. And I think that, um, uh, yeah, sometimes I find that I, I'm, I'm just trying to create a um, sort of a calm space to just share how people are, feel, how people are feeling. Um, and sometimes when you, when you aren't living in that in your country of origin i don't know sam i don't know if you find this um it's interesting to have a different perspective on what's going on i don't feel quite as emotionally um triggered by you know the political situation um, i'm able to kind of look at it a little more objectively um i don't know do you find do you find that at all oh i think so I think it's because you don't you don't get distracted quite so much by the the, the sort of the, the day to day goings on, and 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 sometimes you don't know the details of the individuals, and so you're able to sort of take a, a more helicopter view of what's going on. I think. Yeah. Um, but th but then again, you might miss some of the nuance that does turn out to be important. So. It, it, it's it's hard to know. There's there's not much nuance with the president of the United States. I don't think. No. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, no. We're kind of. I guess it's a bit unique here, isn't it? Because we're, we're we've got like two degrees of separation in New Zealand. So, like, you know, someone who knows any politician in the country, and you know someone who knows the prime minister, because that's just how it works here. Is, it must be quite a difference from in America where it's, it doesn't work like that, does it? The connection's not there. 
Yeah, well, it's funny. I mean, the, the United States, uh, from my experience, um, it's very state centric. Um, you know, I, I was um, working uh, at an international artist residency in Vermont years ago, and I was having a conversation and one of the international sort of residents was listening to me talk with some of the other residents. And um, she said, do you realize that everyone in the US, when they meet each other, like one of the first questions is what state are you from? And then the response is, ah, you know, and it's like, and I realized that there's all of these, you find out what state someone's from and you have all of these associations, whether they're true or not. Um, and so in Vermont, where I'm from, there, it feels kind of like New Zealand in a way. There is like two degrees of separation, you know, someone will say, oh, I know someone in Vermont. I'm like, what's their name? And like <laughs> nine times out of 10, uh, there's some random connection or like we have gone to the same, like, like, oh, I love that cafe in Burlington, you know? <laughs> so I, I think that um, it's, it's, it's a funny place like that because there are these sort of tight little pockets and then it's a very huge, incredibly diverse country. Liesel Mitchell is a downtown dweller, urban explorer and conversationalist observing city life in lockdown. Well, hello there, bubble people. It's Liesl here coming at you from a level two land. Oh, wow. This is um, pretty exciting stuff. I have just been out in the world, which um, whew, has been pretty exciting, actually. I met my mum and my dad, and they even came into my house, and here's the best bit we hugged and I've got to say like this this person right here has been missing hugs and weirdly I never thought I'd be the person that said that but um, hugs were high on my list of things to tick off when we could finally sort of like make a bit more contact so anyway parents came over to my house oh, even cooler They'd only been here once before lockdown sort of happened because I'd moved in just days before lockdown. So that was really exciting to actually host them here in some way. And then we did the, the magical, amazing thing of going out to a cafe. So whew, this was um, all of it kind of freaky because it feels like the weirdest sort of like popping of, you know, these little like sort of safety nets that you've had around yourself and all these sort of, um, rules that we've been living by or being aware of or trying to be uh, thoughtful towards so going into a public space again sitting down at a table ordering coffee having someone else make it for you um, while I've been getting takeaway coffees for the last little uh, the last two weeks I guess of the, the level three experience um, it felt quite different to actually go into a cafe and sit down so yeah it was weird like it was it was weirdly very comfortable and very normal and like oh my gosh this is real life again it felt all exciting there was lots of smiles and laughter and joy and you could sort of feel it in the people around you as well but at the same time as I came out of that experience said goodbye to my parents went on our way I felt stressed like <laughs> 
this weird like this is so lovely it's so nice to get a sense of normal but at the same time it's like have I done this right like have I washed my hands did I sanitize properly did I breathe in the right direction um, did the barista wipe their nose did I just see them wipe their nose I'm pretty sure I saw them wipe their nose like um, should I be worried about that when they're making my coffee I don't know like honestly I have never thought like this before and it was it's this weird environment now where you sort of feel hyper aware of other people hyper aware of your own space and how you're interacting well this is me anyway I I don't know if everyone else is feeling like this so I'll be interested how you're all responding as I'm guessing we'll all be making these um, moves today or in the next few days where we actually go back out into that world that we've been um, kind of pretty much restricted from and shut down for the last six or seven weeks and now it's sort of opened up to us again in lots of ways and I think the key is to be kind you know again I can't say this enough I think this is the way we should live anyway I'm a big advocate for kindness but I think even more so at the moment you know really coming out of that cafe realizing that that was just so lovely and yet there was this level of sort of heightened stress in it as well like I felt really um, exhausted actually it was quite interesting so um, I know some people probably will just go straight back into their kind of normal and maybe not super or you know um, vigilant about certain things because uh, maybe just a more relaxed kind of person than, than myself but I would say that I'm just trying to be thoughtful and in being thoughtful that takes a bit of energy so Ooh, exciting times people, exciting times and I think if we can continue to look after each other and be mindful, thoughtful, wash our hands. My mum was saying today that apparently in a conversation, you know, not that many particles, germ particles get spread like over a minute, something like 20, but if you sneeze or cough, it's something like 20 million. <laughs> it's like a massive, massive upgrade in kind of like exchanging of um of viral particles so thinking that through I think if we're just careful we can talk to people but you know try to be mindful of how we interact with people sneezing coughing etc looking after everybody not just ourselves Woo! so enjoy that level two enjoy and um, lovely to see some humans again and have some hugs but be careful and take care and talk soon do you think growing up in Vermont gives you a particular view on the world I'm, th I'm thinking Lisa there is doing her PhD in peace studies and that seems to be a sort of a Vermonty sort of thing to do I, I would associate that with with Vermont yeah um so you, the question was um gives it gives me a sort of certain perspective on the world hmm yeah I think I think it does um I I'm very much connected to landscape, and I think if you grow up in a place like um, Vermont, where um, the mountains, the lakes, um, the ecology really dominates your experience as a child, and if you're a kid like me, you're always—I was always out in it. I grew up, um, you know, along along a lake, and um, so I think that I, I relate to the world through a sense of place. And um, it's actually one of the first things that I notice when I travel. And one of the things that drew me to New Zealand is I just connected with the 
place. Um, I think it's one of the reasons I liked Dunedin uh, when I moved here. Is that that reminded me of New England. There was the, the, the seasons, the autumn trees, that there are similar smells, um, like the, the smell of, um, of well, autumn. I mean, we're, we're in autumn, so I'm definitely sort of immersed in that um, at the moment. Um, and like cold summers, <laughs> um, rainy, uh, in some ways like that, that love of gray. Um, Vermont has great, amazing gray skies. And New Zealand also has beautiful, amazing gray weather. And uh, there's, I think, a toughness to the psychology. I was actually thinking about during lockdown, I kind of went into like, New England winter mode, where it's sometimes so cold that you do not leave the house for most of the day. You might go out for like a cross country ski or something, and like then come back in and huddle by the fire. And I think that um, that 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 sort of psychology has really put me in good stead during this lockdown period because I'm like, oh, okay, I know how to do that. Like we we bake, we sleep, we read books, we go and run up a hill and keep ourselves warm, and then. You know, so I think that, um, yeah, I think it has a huge impact. Everywhere you go. Culture of the state. It's small. It's um, but it's sort of fiercely independent. Uh, it's. I think it's the only state state that can legally secede from the United States. And you know, Vermonters, we will not let you forget that. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so I think there's a little bit of like that sort of hippie radical in me that just always is there. <laughs> so, of all of the societal changes that you've seen from your bubble in the last couple of months, what do you think is going to stick and what do you hope will stick? I think um, an appreciation of pace of uh, the world is a slower place. I think people are taking time to, in communication, check in with people, you know, um, there's not quite as much pressure to get things done right away there's a pause like oh how are you today um i noticed uh, when i was walking around um my you know sort of my neighborhood people were friendlier you know they would sort of smile and say hi even from a distance and um you know notice things like my neighbor started dropping off um uh, vegetables at our gate and there's a sharing of resources and um, and i think appreciation of uh, for me, I, I'm pretty food-centered. I love eating. I love cooking. So I've noticed a lot of things around food. I was reading an article um, in the U.S. that community-sponsored agriculture uh, is on the rise. People are caring where their food is coming from. And so I think that I'm really hoping that people will have had time to do things like gardening, um, have the space to sit and enjoy those sort of peaceful places and have had the time to learn how to bake may have discovered that they enjoy it. Um, so I'm really hoping that some of just those like simple lifestyle choices will stick and that people have enjoyed uh, that aspect of life. I think it's, that's... 
It's interesting that to me that it's demonstrated that this slowing down and and, and totally recognising that some people are are, are vulnerable and and doing it really tough. But even within that, this this slowing down has been a largely good thing. And it's it's all of the things that we thought were impossible to do for climate change or whatever else drivers, turns out we can do them. Yeah, exactly. Um, and it's, I, I mean, I think that um, maybe a, a lot of them, um, I think creative people, and well, I guess maybe a lot of people just are discovering that they are creative um, and are empowered by that, I, I'd hope. You know, like all of a sudden, hey, wait a second, um, I can learn the guitar. I have time to do that. You know, um, our people are actually pulling out some of those projects that they have on the back burner and making them happen. I'm picking up good vibrations. She's giving me the excitations. I'm backing up You're a traveler. Have you been virtually traveling? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Planning the next getaway whenever we're enabled to do that? Yeah, and and choosing um choosing books that put me in interesting um, places. I I do have this fascination with um with the southern coast of the United States. I'm really not sure where it came from, um, but I've been reading this like amazing book called um the uh, where the crawdads sing, and it, it's set in um, the North Carolina coast and it just gives you that sort of sense of the marshes and the bayous and i find that when i want to travel and i can't physically i start collecting you know books uh, i've sort of pulled out michael king's um history of new zealand which i've read off and on and never completely finished um and it's sort of exploring different parts of new zealand because i can't go there um i definitely find that I, i'm doing a lot of traveling and and in my own writing practice, um, sometimes I'll just write a piece about a place that I want to visit and kind of imagine, put myself there. I've been reading the history of the mapping of British roads. Ooh. And I found I, I find that sort of stuff really interesting. But then again, I also like watching YouTube about the history of railways. So each to their own. Mm. Unless there's somebody else in the room insisting that I not watch the history of British Railways. <laughs> Actually, you know, the, the history of railways is really fascinating. I mean, when you study, when you kind of focus in on one element of, um, of, of history and or one sort of subject and unpack all of the impacts, like I, I read a book on... Um, Eager, uh, The Secret Life of Beavers and Why They Matter um, by Ben Goldfarb. And it's basically looking at um, how beavers shaped the ecology of um, particularly the United States and that the American West would be a much, um, the water issues would have been solved. Um, and one of the problems with the drought, not the only problem, there's all sorts of things, but um, could be solved by adding beavers back into the natural ecosystem, things got out of balance. And so, you you know, whether it be railroad or one sort of species, 
you can unpack all of these fascinating stories. I mean, one of them, some project, I think in the 1940s, they um, airdrop, they literally dropped beavers into remote areas via, I think like US Army planes to repopulate um, uh, different ecosystems. And there was one beaver named Geronimo that they, <laughs> that they they tested it on and they dropped them like 40 times um, and eventually they settled them in a really nice place with three female beavers so he hopefully went on to create a whole happy beaver colony but i love books like that that are quirky and weird but they also get you thinking about and you about sort of sort of the the web of um of stories and ecology and how they all connect I um in the early nineties I was working on a NASA led project in the north of Canada in northern Manitoba. We're actually based out of Nebraska. The instructions to get to our field site was turn left out of campus and, and drive for three days. When you run out of road, keep driving for another half a day. And the <laughs> the fen, the swamp that I was working in, was um it was too too dry too for a boat and too wet to walk in. Um, so you just had to basically wade through this thing. And, and then in the next catchment over, there was a guy from Kingston who was um, working on the same project. So my, my part of the project was trying to look at the scaling models, how to, how to scale the um, vegetation effects and the climate change models when they were first developing this, the circulation models. Um, and he his project was doing the same sort of thing, but trying to figure out the impact of the um, beaver dams in the climate change models. Oh, um, very cool. <laughs> so, so I spent quite a lot of time clambering over uh, beaver dams because he was trying to install pressure sensors and um, uh, flow meters and things into the beaver dams to, to try and work out how impervious they were and all that sort of stuff. They're remarkable. I um, I spent my summers growing up in, in northern Canada, um, whitewater canoeing, and um, did a trip in the Northwest Territories. And at one point, we got kind of we took a a shortcut, and um, ended up for a week crashing through beaver dams in the remote wilderness of the North Territories. And um, I gained a great respect for those amazing little creatures after literally hauling canoes and myself through boggy you know wet mosquito infested beautiful landscape <laughs> i don't want to remember about the mosquitoes i'll oh, start to like itch all over <laughs> <laughs> at one point i gave up having lunch because i couldn't figure out how to get the food from the, the bag from the lunchbox into my mouth without it being completely covered yeah, no, there's that experience. Have you ever, you know, you, when you hold a book, like a book, and you close it and you open it, and there's just like a whole mass of mosquitoes caught in the cage. <laughs> Those experiences make you tougher. First mosquito collection. <laughs> So we have some questions to end with. Want to find them? There they are. What's the biggest success you've had in the last couple of years? Writing, writing my book. 
completing completing a, um, a big project and sticking with something that was hard and took multiple drafts. Um, and, uh, and I'd say also the community of people, um, especially my partner who has supported me um, in that process, the, the connections that I've made through that. Um, I think that would probably be, be the largest. So we're writing a book of these conversations. It's called Tomorrow's Heroes. We will actually write the book. Like you, that will be our success in a couple of years. So our book is of the collection of people doing good work. So you're in our mansion. What's the superpower that got you there? Um, I, th I think it's been observation. Um, just, I think, taking the time to observe the small um, moments in life um, and, and those quiet moments, um, whether it's when you're sitting, you know, when you're taking a break from work and, and um, you sit down outside and you notice a spider spinning a web next to you or you can watch. It's like, I think that sort of childlike inspiration um, and that, that, uh, that desire and ability to pay attention to those small moments. I think that in, um, at least for me in writing, those are some of the most potent moments that I read um, in other artists' work um, and also that I enjoy in my own work when you're able to capture something really small but connect it to a much larger experience. Um, so yeah, I think it's that that observation and that that sort of playfulness, that getting excited about a book about beavers um, <laughs> and not being afraid to admit that I am totally love penguins. And one of the reasons I got excited about moving to, New to Dunedin was that there were two species of penguins living right off the peninsula of the city. That thrilled me. So do you consider yourself to be an activist? Yes, I suppose so. Um, I am a pretty shy person and I don't like big crowds. I mean, it's another reason why this COVID thing doesn't phase me is that I really wouldn't want to be out and like spending time with huge groups of people. Um, I, you know, I sort of always avoided um, large protest marches um, and stuff, even when I was in college, when I had the opportunity to go um, to them. Um, but I, I think that I'm interested in, um, everyone finding um, their own way of being an activist. So whether it's um, through uh, creative work, through, um, I've got, you know, friends, a friend of mine who's in the US who's really passionate about community um, uh, urban gardens and um, has just found a way to integrate that into his work. Um, yeah, so I think that I'm an activist and that I, not not so much in a sort of large public way, but in finding one's own own voice in to sort of be a part of whatever movement you're drawn to be a part of. So what motivates you? What gets you out of bed in the morning? Love of the natural world. Um, nature is probably my, my largest motivation. It's what I um, gain a lot of inspiration from when I have um, tough times when I am uh, upset about the state of the world um, or having it, that's where I go. I go for a walk. I go sit in the sun, um, go to the beach. I think that um, just that that love of 
the natural world and how it inspires and feeds me, motivates me to want to take action and protect it um, and appreciate it and spend. I think that's also another reason I, I love to travel is to see as much of this incredible planet as I can. One day. Sort of think, one day, yes. <laughs> <laughs> There's going to be some pretty awesome trips planned. Yes. <laughs> I think they might be slower. I would like that, actually. You know, um, you know, when you read those sort of historical accounts of the, you know, like um, Captain Cook's travels to New Zealand, uh, you know, they were year-long experiences. I'm not sure I want to have that exact experience, but... Um, but yeah, the, the pace that, that people got to explore the world, those epic boat trips, uh, I think would be really fun to experience. So what challenge are you looking forward to in the next year or so? Growing more of my own food. Um, I would like to have a bigger garden. Um, and um, I have, over the lockdown period, um, continued to bake and bake my own bread and um, so I think that I would really like to develop like cook um, and grow and source a lot of my own food locally um, because I don't know if I'm going to be doing any major trips anytime soon so really enjoying creating um, my space and, um, and the food that I eat. And lastly do you have any advice for our listeners? Spend time in nature and um, develop your creative voice, whatever that is. And, um, you know, if whatever it is that you love doing, um, make the time to do it, especially now that um, we have we've had a chance to slow down. Um, not, I know that not everyone has, but if try to find those those quiet spaces um, to nurture whatever your creative project is and, and get outside. And enjoy the natural world and find the beauty in the gray days. Moira. Um, that was lovely, wasn't it? Thank you, Lily. Um, I am going to go and find the smell of the Eastern Bay Plenty Autumn today. I think that is a really lovely idea. I love the smell of rivers. Uh, that's my favorite thing to do is go somewhere new and smell the river. <laughs> But there's just something um, about the idea of smelling the season. I've never thought about that. That's a beautiful thought. Thank you. Today's mission. Thank you. You've been listening to Blowing Bubbles, positive conversations with people in their bubbles, their safe spaces around the world. Brought to you by the Sustainable Lens team, which is brought to you by Otago Polytechnic. We broadcast on Otago Access Radio every weekday afternoon at 3 and streamed and podcast on oar.org.nz. You can find us on Facebook as well. We've had contributions from Tahu McKenzie and Liesl Mitchell re-entering their worlds. I'm Samuel Mann in Soyuz Bay, Dunedin, with Mawira Karatai in Fakatani, and we've been joined by Lily Morrow-Howden in Northeast Valley, Dunedin. We hope you enjoyed the show.
This podcast was produced by ORFM Dunedin with support from New Zealand On the Air.